Let us open the Holy Scriptures together to Psalm 88. We'll read the entire psalm together, including the heading at the top of the psalm. And the entire psalm will be our text, focusing on some of the overarching ideas in this very interesting and very beautiful psalm. So Psalm 88, beginning with the heading. A song or psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musician upon Mahalath, Lianoth, Maskil of Heman, the Ezrahite. O Lord, God of my salvation, <clears throat> I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of my affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark, and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend, hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. Thus far we read in the scriptures. <clears throat> Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 88 has an uncommonly full heading which, though not inspired by the Holy Spirit, does give us a few clues about its author and its purpose. In the heading, we read that Psalm 88 is a song or a psalm for the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were a college of singers that sang and took part in the public worship of the tabernacle and the temple. This was a song a psalm written for the chief musician. It was one intended to be used, sung in public worship 
for the edification of God's people and the glory of God's name. And the heading also says, upon Mahalath, Lianoth. And the exact meaning of those words is not entirely certain. One possibility is that it means upon a sickness. The occasion for the composition of this psalm was the psalmist's sickness, and that would fit with the tone and content of the psalm. Others have said that those Hebrew words refer to a certain instrument or a certain tone or tune that was to be used with a psalm like this. A mournful tune for a very sad psalm. And that would likewise fit. As to the author of the psalm, we're told his name here in the heading as Ethan, or rather Heman, the Ezraite. The Bible mentions a few different Hemans, and we can't precisely determine who is the writer of this psalm, or if one of the other Hemans mentioned in the Bible is the writer, but it's possible. For example, in 1 Chronicles 2, verse 6, we're told that Judah's son, Zerah, had two sons, Ethan and Heman. And the term Ezraite here likely means a descendant of Zerah. So at very least, the writer of this psalm was a man descended from Zerah, a man likely from the tribe of Judah. In 1 Chronicles 25 verse 1, we find another Heman mentioned. A man whose sons David ordained as singers in the tabernacle. And this too would make sense that perhaps that Heman was the man that the Spirit inspired to write this psalm. Another possibility is the Heman that we read about in 1 Kings 4 verse 31. And this Heman is described as a very notable wise man. In fact, he was so wise that Solomon is compared to him, and the wisdom of Solomon is shown to be greater than all men, and that he was wiser even than Ethan and Heman. And that too is an interesting possibility. Because when you compare Psalm 88 with the book of Job, you will see much similarity not only in content, but also in language. And it would make sense that a spiritually-minded wise man acquainted with the book of Job going through sufferings in his life would write a psalm such as we have here. Ultimately, we can't know for certain who the author is. But what we can say is that he was a child of God. He was a man of faith. That comes out right away in the first verse where he cries out to the God of his salvation. He knew Jehovah as his God and as the God of his salvation. And we know that he was a man going through intense trials and suffering. The whole psalm brings that out. Psalm 88 is a psalm of lament. A lament is an honest cry from the heart of a child of God in the midst of great distress and sorrow. A cry in which the child of God pours out his or her soul before the Lord. 
and gives expression to the pain, the confusion, the sorrow that they are experiencing and calls upon the Lord for help. There are many psalms of lament in the Psalter. But even among the psalms of lament, Psalm 88 is unique. There is no psalm more sorrowful than this one. It is the lament of laments. And perhaps what is most striking and maybe a bit unsettling at first reading as we look at Psalm 88 is that it doesn't have something that we find in the other psalms of lament. Usually the other psalms of lament end on a high note. There is a turn at some point in the psalm and the psalmist looks up to the Lord and it ends on a high note, but we don't find that here. It's unsettling as we follow Heman's words which lead, it seems, not up but lead down until we reach the abrupt last words of the psalm. Into darkness. And the psalm ends there. Why is this in the Bible? Why do we have this psalm? Why is this given to the church to sing and to pray? Let us see tonight that this most sorrowful of all psalms has much to teach us and is, in fact, a comfort for us. A cry from the lowest pit. That's what Psalm 88 really is. A cry of a believing child of God from the lowest pit. And that's our theme. Let's look first at the deep distress of the psalmist expressed in this psalm. And then secondly, we will face the question, are we left comfortless? And finally, we will see that Psalm 88 is God's gift to us. From beginning to end, Psalm 88 is a lament. It is the outpouring of the psalmist's deeply distressed soul before the God of his salvation. And this is a cry that is not just a one-time cry, but a cry that the psalmist has been continually making to the Lord. You see that as you read through Psalm 88, how often prayer comes up, how often the psalmist mentions that he has cried, he has prayed, he has gone to the Lord. Verses 1 and 2, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried unto thee day and night. Day and night. A potent lament. A big part of lament is vocalizing before the Lord the suffering that you are experiencing, describing what the sufferer feels. And that's what Psalm 88 is. Psalm 88 is really an anatomy of the psalmist's anguished soul. He describes his pain, his suffering in the most vivid of details. Verse 3, for my soul is full of troubles. 
And the psalm shows that it is full to the brim. In fact, the dam has already broken, and the psalmist's soul is erupting. It bursts forth with a surging flood of words, a cascade of verse upon verse, describing the suffering that the psalmist is going through, which strains even human language and its ability to describe it. And so we follow that flood of words now. Verses 3 through 5, the psalmist says, I feel like I'm dying. Indeed, I feel like I'm already dead. My life draweth nigh unto the grave. I'm a footstep away from the grave. I'm teetering on the edge. I am counted with them that go down to the pit. The idea there is that this man's inner trouble became so visible on his face and so visible in his bearing that others who looked at him said, this man is going down to the grave. Just look at him. He looks like a dead man. I am as a man that hath no strength. He felt like a shadow of his former self, an empty husk, dead and numb on the inside, spent without strength even for life's ordinary tasks. He goes on, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. He feels like someone who's been cut loose from all of the things that tie a man to this earthly life. He feels like a corpse in an open grave, a boat unmoored and adrift upon the stormy sea. And as the cascade of verse upon verse proceeds from the psalmist's soul, the pace and the intensity picks up. Verse 6, Thou, thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Can you find any other words to describe a man who has hit rock bottom? Who is in the lowest of the low? The lowest pit, darkness, deeps. He has sunk in distress, in sorrow and perplexity. And this only adds to his pain. It feels as if the hand of God has been turned against him. Indeed, he even recognizes the sovereign hand of God in this. Thou hast laid me, he cries, in the lowest pit. In the lowest pit where there is darkness that he cannot see out of. Thy wrath, verse 7 says, lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. How that increases the distress of a child of God when it feels like God is distant, or when heaven's floor feels like it's made of stone and your prayers cannot penetrate it to reach the throne of grace. That's where the psalmist was. It felt like God was against him. It felt as though God's wrath was beating against him one relentless wave after another. So painful was this that you'll notice he comes back to it in verses 16 and 17. Some of the worst suffering in mind and in soul that a believer can experience is that feeling that God has turned away from me. And it seemed to him that everyone had turned away from him. For as verse 8 says, Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. An acquaintance here doesn't mean people that I run into now and again. It means people who are close to me. Friends, family, those that I went up to the house of God with have been put far from me. 
when you're in the pit, what a help it is to have the kind companionship of friends, but even this the psalmist was deprived of. His friends pulled away from him. Perhaps the idea is that some betrayed him or turned against him. Very likely, many of his friends made the same conclusion that Job's friends did, that the psalmist had sinned greatly against God, and now he's become an abomination to them, and they shrink from him. They pull back. And he feels utterly alone in the lowest pit, an abomination to those who were close to him, literally a horror to them. And is that not a most painful aspect of suffering? The isolation a sufferer can experience? And it may not even be intentional when people pull back. An application there. To be on guard and watch ourselves when there's someone in the family or someone in the congregation that is deep in suffering, in the lowest pit. It can be so easy to pull back, to shrink away. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. And unintentionally, that person is left in isolation in their suffering. That's what happened to Heman. So he says, I'm shut up. I cannot come forth. Verse 9, I mourn and I cry. Then as the cascade of verse upon verse continues in the second half of the psalm, the psalmist turns from describing the anatomy of his anguished soul to wrestling with God, voicing questions to God. Like Jacob, he wrestles we see here the wrestling of an afflicted soul with the mystery of God's, at times, inscrutable and mysterious ways. Verses 10 and 11, you see the suffering psalmist trying to reason with God. Wilt thou show thy wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave or thy faithfulness in destruction? If you've been in the lowest pit before, or if you're there now, you know what those questions mean because you've asked them yourself. What good is this? Time is running out. I'm dying in this pit. God, if you don't relieve me soon, it's going to be too late. I'll be dead. You see, Heman isn't denying the resurrection of the dead here. He's not denying that there is life in heaven after death. This is not the language of precise theology. This is the language of an agonized soul crying out to God. It's the logic of the sufferer. Pleading, reasoning with God, even appealing to God's own glory. Lord, how does this serve your glory? If I'm here in the pit, if I die here in the pit, what good is this? How does this serve your glory? If you lift me up, if you save me, if you deliver me now, I will sing thy praises. I will tell everyone I meet how you rescued me. Why? Why must I be here? in the lowest pit. 
You see the psalmist going in that direction in his mind in, in verse 14. He says, why? Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? In the lowest pit, in the darkness, in the deeps of his affliction, Heman couldn't see out of that darkness. And God's ways at that time did not make sense to him. He couldn't grasp it. You hear the echoes of Asaph, a fellow suffering psalmist who by inspiration wrote in Psalm 77 verse 19, Thy way is in the sea and thy path in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known. What a flood of emotion. We see the emotion that is packed into this psalm. Every emotion of a suffering child of God is expressed here. Sadness, crying, pain, numbness, weariness, terror, confusion, loneliness, isolation, guilt, powerlessness, bewilderment. It's all there like a knot tangled together and the psalmist goes from one thing to another. It's the honest cry of an afflicted and deeply distressed soul pouring itself out to God. We must wonder, we probably wonder, what stands behind these words? What was this affliction in the psalmist's life? What was Heman going through such that it would become the occasion for the writing of this psalm? And the answer is we simply don't know. There's been different suggestions with differing degrees of possibility. Some have suggested a chronic illness or a lifelong infirmity. The Hebrew word lianoth in the, the heading could mean upon a sickness. And so that's, that's a reasonable possibility. It could have been a long-standing affliction. Verse 15 I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. That seems to imply that Heman has struggled with this trial, this affliction, for many, many years. Some have even suggested leprosy. After all, verse, verse 8, Heman says that he is like an abomination to his friends, that he is shut up and cannot come forth. That would be the suffering of a leper. But the fact is, we just don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us on purpose so that this psalm may have the widest application. So that, beloved, your sufferings may fit here. God has inspired and given us the Psalms in part to be a mirror of our own souls. In the Psalms, we are meant to find ourselves. And the Psalms are God-given words with which to interpret our own experience. God-given words which guide us in how to respond to the realities and the trials and the sufferings of this life and God-given words to be used to cast those cares upon the Lord and to bring them before the God of our salvation. 
We're not told what Heman was suffering. Because we don't need to know. This psalm is meant to be applicable to all of us as God's people. Beloved, suffering brother or sister, fellow saint in the pit tonight, this is the word of God for you. This is a psalm designed to speak the language of your soul right now. The manifold description of the psalmist's suffering is something that all of us can relate to in one way or another, to one degree or another. All of us have experienced something of these words and have uttered something of them, whether in our hearts or aloud. Perhaps you've stood at the edge of the pit and looked down. Perhaps you've slid down the pit. Perhaps you're there right now. Perhaps you keep it hidden well so that unlike Heman, others don't see it. You don't look like one who is going down to the grave, but inside you're in pieces. Child of God can go through what this psalm describes in many different ways, occasioned by many different things. When that spouse, that loved one, is taken in death, it can feel like the lowest pit, shut up and unable to come forth. If you've gone through depression or are going through depression, you don't need someone to explain the words of, these, of this psalm to you. You know it from experience. These are your words. You know what it is to be a man that hath no strength, to feel as though you are free among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave. If there's been a messy divorce in the family or betrayal of a friend or family member that shatters relationships and brings such stress and pain, you know what it is to have lover and friend put far from you and your acquaintance into darkness. Maybe it's been back-to-back afflictions, whether physical, spiritual, mental, so that you say with the psalmist, I feel as though I've been ready to die from my youth up. It seems like wave after wave has compassed me. Or there's perplexing problems that have so multiplied in my life that my soul is full of trouble and I feel on the verge of breaking down. So much more. Many, many great are the afflictions of God's people. And so by way of a few brief applications here at the end of the first point, let us take note of the honesty and the openness of this psalm. Believers go through things like this. Believers, children of God, at times in their lives end up in the lowest pit. 
This is not just something that happens to unspiritual people. This is not just something that happens in the world. God's people go through things like this. There are times when Christians feel distant from God, even cast off by Him. There are people who live in the church, who have true, lively faith, and yet they go through the dark night of the soul. This is a reality, and this psalm presents it to us with such openness and honesty so that we might recognize it. And face it. Be willing and ready to help brothers and sisters going through it. Consider the the human author, Heman. We don't know who he was, but just imagine he is one of those three Hemans that we mentioned in the introduction. Imagine he was a son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, right in the center of the covenant. Yet he went through this. Or if he was that Heman whose sons were ordained by David as singers in the temple, there's a man of the church, active and involved in the church, and yet he went through this. Or that wise man, Heman, a man of wisdom, a man of success, perhaps living even in the days of Solomon, and yet just like Job, he went through such affliction. There's no indication in Psalm 88 that Heman's distress was due to some grave, unconfessed sin that he was living in. Yes, Psalm 88 mentions God's wrath, mentions God's chastening hand, and God chastens us in our afflictions. He chastens us for our sinfulness. He chastens us in order to refine us. Every son that he receives, he chastens, and that chastening is an act of love. But there's no indication in Psalm 88 that Heman was living in some unconfessed sin the way David was with Bathsheba when the Lord smote him and laid his heavy hand on him. Heman was a child of God, a believer in the church, who nonetheless, according to God's sovereign good pleasure in his mysterious way, was led through a very deep and dark valley. that the Lord would use in his own marvelous way for Heman's good and for the good of the church. We don't know all of the good that God brought out of it, but we do know one thing. One good is that God brought this psalm out of it for the edification and the instruction of the church throughout the ages. So another application alongside the psalm setting before us this reality that Christians will at times go through such dark nights of the soul, the lowest pit like we have described here. We must not be quick to judge sufferers who have sunk down deep into the pit. We must not presume to judge that they are unspiritual, that they are weak, Or that this is all due to some sin that they've committed. But such distressed souls ought to receive the prayer and the loving support of their brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Patience, tenderness, 
in ministering to them. Such suffering is a reality, even among God's people, and far more common than perhaps we realize. Is there any comfort? Are we left comfortless? Was Heman left comfortless? Are we left comfortless tonight? Where's the comfort? And that's a good question because as you read through Psalm 88, it seems like we are left comfortless. You get to the end of the psalm and you ask, where is it? Where's the comfort? After all, psalms of lament usually end that way. I mentioned that in, in the introduction. Let's, let's see how that's the case. Let's flip back to Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is another psalm of lament. Much, much shorter, but we'll read it a moment and you'll see some very similar language to Psalm 88. In Psalm 13, David is being persecuted by his enemies and it seems as though his enemies are closing in around him and David cries out, he pours out his soul to the Lord in Psalm 13. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? You hear the, the powerful emotion in David's words there in the repetition of that question, that cry, how long, how long? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He feels like he is heading to the grave. Lest mine enemies say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Similar feeling to Psalm 88. Then there's verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. What a beautiful, positive, encouraging, comforting ending to that psalm of lament. The Lord hath dealt bountifully with me. But now we turn back to Psalm 88. And we look for the same thing. Yes, at the start of the psalm, there is, as it were, a single ray of light that pierces the dark clouds for a moment. O Lord God of my salvation. That's how the psalm begins. And those are powerful words, words of faith from a man of faith, words of faith rising up out of the pit, words of faith uttered to the God that Heman believes in and trusts in. But as soon as this ray of light has pierced the dark clouds, it seems as though the clouds converge again and the light never shows up again. As verses after verses of lament roll out of Heman's soul, it seems like the darkness just deepens. And how different is the ending of Psalm 88? Not the Lord has dealt bountifully with me, but the last words are, into darkness. 
It's as if that's all Heman can see at that moment. One old commentator said this about Psalm 88's final words. With this complaint, the harp falls from the poet's hands. He is silent and waits on God that he may solve the riddle of affliction. Left, comfortless, no, no, there is comfort. And this psalm brings us comfort in a most surprising and beautiful way. The comfort is not so much found in the words of the psalm itself, though it's there. That first line of the psalm must not be minimized. Heman was a man of faith who looked up unto his God, O God of my salvation. But the comfort of this psalm is found especially in the fact that Psalm 88 exists. For the sufferer in the lowest pit, you are not alone. Your experience is not unique to you. You are not lost. You are not so far gone that there is no rescue. Here is another who has been there. But the comfort isn't so much that there is another man who lived a long time ago who's been there too. The comfort is this. God inspired this psalm. God put this psalm in his word for you. So that when you are in the lowest pit, and to use the language of Proverbs 25 verse 20, the singing of songs is to your heavy heart like the loss of a garment in cold weather and vinegar upon nitre, you still have this song. You have this God-inspired lament, the words of which are the vehicle by, by which you can bring your cares and your sorrows and your pains to the throne of grace. How merciful of God to give us a psalm like this, to inspire it for us, to take the comfort further. What that means is God is tenderly inclined to his children when they are in the lowest pit, even in those times when the darkness is so deep that my weak eyes and my faltering faith can't see it can't see him. It seems like he's turned away. It seems like God is far from me. God is still mercifully inclined to his people. God hears even prayers like this. His ear is open to cries from the lowest pit. And the very existence of Psalm 88 shows us that. 
when you're in the lowest pit, your prayers to your heavenly Father transcend distance. They transcend that greatest distance. They transcend what seems like something impossible to transcend out of the pit, out of the darkness, out of the deeps, to heaven, to the throne of grace. God hears. And his heart is full of compassion. The existence of Psalm 88 is a comfort. The existence of Psalm 88 shows God's grace and mercy. The existence of Psalm 88 proves that God does not abandon his people in the lowest pit. He did not abandon Heman in the lowest pit, and he will not abandon you. Rather, God sustained him. Psalm 88 is itself the fruit of God's sustaining grace. This visceral lament is not the shaking of a fist in the face of God, but is a cry of faith. The cry of a deeply afflicted and suffering believer. This psalm is the fruit of God's grace in Heman's life. Yes, so great was Heman's distress, and so great our distress can be at times that it feels like we reach the brink of despair, but Heman doesn't fall over the brink. God doesn't let him. Verse 1, that ray of light is there, and it's a sufficient ray of light. And though it seems like the clouds blot out that ray of light, they can't, and they won't. The God of my salvation is with me, with me, with me in the lowest pit. Suffering believer, that's what Psalm 88 shows you. Your God is with you, and he will never leave your side. He is with you in the lowest pit. And even if your faith is like a sputtering flame in the inky darkness, he will not suffer the quenching flax, or rather the smoking flax, to be quenched. Your God is with you and will keep you even in the lowest pit. And the gospel foundation of that is in verse 1 Jesus Christ. Jesus is here in the psalm. You can find Jesus' name here in verse 1. O Lord, Lord in all capital letters, Jehovah, God of my salvation. Lord Jehovah, God of my salvation. Jesus is Jehovah's salvation. And we can well imagine Heman, even in the darkness of the lowest pit, his faith fixed upon that promise of Jehovah's salvation, the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, and that was the one thing that he could hold on to, and it was enough. It was sufficient. Christ. Christ. And in the New Testament, with the light of the New Testament Scriptures, what richer knowledge we have of Christ, which gives such a rich measure of comfort, Comfort for the suffering believer, the comfort for the believer in the lowest pit is that Christ has redeemed you. 
And you belong to him body and soul in life and in death. And the lowest pit can't pluck you from his hand. The lowest pit cannot swallow you up. The lowest pit cannot defeat the saving love of Jesus Christ, height or depth. Nothing, not any creature can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we are more than conquerors, even in the lowest pit. Jesus. Think about what he did for you. He went into the lowest pit. Lower than any low pit you or I will ever be in. Though Jesus is God the Son, yet in the fullness of time he came, sent of the Father, and he took upon himself our human flesh and was made man. Not just any man the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus was afflicted and ready to die from his youth up, for he was our sin-bearer from his youth up. As the prophet Isaiah says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You read in the Gospels the history of Jesus in Gethsemane and you'll hear the echoes of Psalm 88. Rather, to put it better, the echoes of Christ are heard in Psalm 88. Matthew 26, 38, Jesus says, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death as the weight of our sins pressed out of him the bloody sweat in the garden where he was bound that we might be freed from our sins. Afterward, he suffered innumerable reproaches that we might never be confounded. He stood before the judgment seat of Pontius Pilate and was condemned, though innocent, that we who are guilty might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God. He yielded up his blessed body to be nailed to the cross where he spilled his blood and gave his life to be the atonement for our sins. Jesus had his acquaintance put far from him into darkness. He was made an abomination in the eyes of men. On the cross of Calvary, God laid him in the lowest pit, in darkness and in deeps that our minds can never fathom. For the wrath of God was hard upon him, and God's fierce wrath for your sins and my sins and the sins of all of his elect people throughout time and history beat upon him one unrelenting wave at a time for those hours on the cross and drew from his mouth the cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He suffered that God-forsakenness. You and I, because of him, will never know what those words mean by experience. Because for Christ's sake, you shall never be forsaken. Jesus descended into the deepest darkness but the darkness was not the last word for Jesus. 
From the pit of the grave he arose, and from this world he ascended to bring us life, light, and everlasting salvation. You came to the Lord's Supper this morning, and the broken bread and the poured out wine was the visible word of the gospel, setting before the eyes of your faith. This. You came with your burdens. You came with your sufferings. You came after the the battle against sin all the past week long. You came and you were refreshed at Christ's table. The Lord's Supper declares to you, beloved, Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He is with you. Even in the lowest pit. And darkness is not the last word. Never for the child of God. That's the message of the gospel. That's the Lord's Supper. Jesus went into the pit for you to lift you up so that you will be never swallowed by any pit. And indeed, all things even the lowest pits must, must be subservient to your everlasting salvation. Having been made the man of sorrows, Jesus is now and forever shall be the man of comfort, of comforts, the man of comforts. The compassionate high priest touched with the feeling of our infirmity to whom we can always and in all times and at all places cry out. He knows. He gets it. He understands. He's been there. There's no suffering that we have gone through that is so great that Jesus can't understand it. There's no searching the depths of his compassion, his sympathy, his understanding, his love, his mercy towards his people in the midst of their sufferings. He was forsaken of God that you would never be. And he lives now ever to make intercession for you. The riddle of any given adversity may not be unraveled in this life. The answer to the question, why, might not be fully discovered on this side of glory. But the riddle doesn't have to be unraveled. Nor does the question, why, need a complete answer on this side of glory. It is enough, it is enough to know Jesus, to see what he has done for me, to rest in him, to behold the cross and the empty tomb, my only comfort in life and in death, body and soul. That's enough. By faith I trust my Savior and my sovereign God, 
who does all things well, and when his ways are higher than my ways, and when his ways exceed my ability to wrap my little human mind around, I don't shake the fist at him, but I bend the knee and I worship. And I cast my burdens upon my all-sufficient Savior. O Lord Jehovah, God of my salvation. And so we see Psalm 88 is a gift to us. What a gift of God. What a gift to the downcast saint. What a gift to us as a church. A a psalm to sing. A psalm to meditate upon. A psalm to pray. A psalm to use as we minister to one another in our afflictions. It opens up a door of utterance for us to pour out our souls before God. John Calvin said that Psalm 88 is a form for prayer. The idea being that Psalm 88 is a God-given pattern for us to use to formulate our prayers, especially when we are in times of affliction. It's good, it's healthy to lament, to pour out our soul to God. This psalm shows us that. This psalm shows us that God's ears are open to such cries. Let us do that suffering people of God. Let us use this psalm to minister to one another in times of trouble and hardship and pain. This is a gift of God to the members of the church to help us weep with those who weep so that they do not suffer in isolation. Don't shy away from Psalm 88. Don't be afraid to use its strong potent language. It's God's gift to us. And so downcast believer, keep on praying. Pray Psalm 88. Keep praying. You see that here, Heman was constant in prayer. Like Job, Heman did not give up and curse God and die and surrender to the darkness, but he kept crying out to the God of his salvation. Keep crying. Keep praying. Understand, when the application is made, keep on praying, we don't mean what so often is meant by those words, that if you just pray enough, if you just pray hard enough, if you just pray with enough faith, then God will give you what you ask for. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is all wise. God is sovereign. And God will answer prayer, but he will answer in his way, in his time. And his way is always the best way. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Prayer is not an equation where if you get all the parts right, it'll spit out the results you want. Rather, the idea of keep praying is this. Keep casting your burdens upon the Lord who cares and who hears. Prayer is that wonderful gift of God by which we transcend distance, unburden our souls, express our grief into the perfect listening ear of our Heavenly Father. And that activity of faith 
truly helps the downcast soul. Just to illustrate, how often is it the case in hard times in our life that we just sit down with a family member or a friend and we talk? We're not looking for a solution. We're not expecting our friend to give us a program for how to solve this problem, but we just want to unburden our soul. And the act of unburdening our soul brings a measure of refreshment and relief. Prayer is simply covenantal communication with the God of our salvation. It's talking to God. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. Use Psalm 88 to do that. And the Lord will answer in His good and perfect way. And according to His good pleasure, He will sustain you. He will lift you up in His everlasting arms. Though the psalm ends, darkness. It's never the last word for the Christian. Jesus is the last word. As Zechariah said, when his tongue was loosed, he sang about Jesus that he came to give light to them that sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Look, beloved, look to Christ, to his cross, and to his empty tomb. Amen. Faithful God and Father, we thank Thee for this powerful psalm, and we pray that Thou wilt instruct us by these words. Use this psalm to comfort, to guide us, and be with all of Thy people who are in times of great affliction. Strengthen them to cast their cares upon Thee, and to pour out their hearts before Thee. Lift them up in thy arms and shelter them beneath thy wings. And lead us, Father, through the valleys of this life to the glory that awaits. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.